I've always had this interest. It's not just something that's come about out of nowhere. I've always wanted to do it. But it was like, okay, well, if you're a boy, then you would have kind of been pushed that way. Because I was a girl, I was like, mm, no, I don't think that's quite for you. And so it was coming over that mental hurdle that was probably what took me a year. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Code of Career with me, Cameron Blackwood. Today's guest is Louise Shambrick. Now, if you've hung out on our Discord server or at any of our events, you will know who Louise is. She is one of the moderators on the server and provides really good advice for people looking to improve their CVs and interview application processes. And it's really been long overdue, so we are really excited to release this one. It's filled with amazing advice for people who are looking at career changing and getting the most out of the first few years of their new career. On today's episode, we'll talk a lot about how data engineering works and if you decide to work in data, what it might look like when you're career changing and the challenges around it. We'll also talk around the challenges and difficulties faced by women in technology, both before they get into the industry and after they've already broken in. And we'll also hear about how the software Louise works on helps people trace back family members from hundreds of years ago. If you enjoyed the show, please do give us a review on Apple Podcasts, share it with a friend, and if you want to upskill, we do have a deal with Zero to Mastery. I learned to code with them myself, so I highly recommend them. You can check them out in the description. But without further ado, here's my conversation with Louise Shambrook. Hey Louise, thanks so much for joining me. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you? Yeah, I'm good, thanks. I'm good. It's like become a massive tradition as viewers and listeners will know. Uh, to just talk about the weather um, and you're in you're in Edinburgh as well so it would only be appropriate just how nice the weather is currently in the middle of June it is unreal I've been sunburnt multiple times which is always impressive uh, for Scotland I'd say yeah definitely um, one thing that I'm actually really grateful for is that it rained last night because yeah. our lawn was looking so dry and we're going on holiday on Thursday and I was like if it doesn't rain we're just going to come home to nothing oh yeah that's a good point yeah it really chucked it down I remember my um my cat hasn't seen rain in about a month and he was just sat out the window just staring at it. Um, we'd had all the windows open as well. And then obviously because it hasn't rained in so long, it didn't kind of click. And then you're like, oh no, everything is getting water inside. So he's had a mad dash. Luckily our flat's not too big, so it didn't take too long, but <laughs> mad dash of shutting all the windows. But I never thought I'd be glad to see rain in Scotland, but here we are. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, and yeah, yeah, it's just it's nice that it, yeah, we've got a bit more, a bit more water now. Yeah, absolutely. It's good for the plants. If it's good for the plants, it's good for good for everyone. So uh, for anyone who tunes in to the podcast and then checks out the community around uh, our Discord or comes to our events, they're probably going to be pretty familiar with who you are already. But um, perhaps for our listeners who haven't done that, do you want to say a little bit about who you are and what, what you're doing at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I have a background in social work. I'm a, I'm a qualified social worker, no longer registered. Um, and I was working in Waltham Forest in London, right up until the pan- pandemic started. And that was probably one of the worst times to be working in like health and social care services. So eventually, my husband and I moved up to Scotland during the pandemic still. Um, but that meant that I had to naturally get a new job because like, we can't really work remotely from Scotland in London. Um, so I had this opportunity to kind of decide, do I want to get out now? 
um, which I did. I was, I was really fed up. I was really stressed. But then that left kind of the open decision of, well, what am I going to do now? Um, so I spent some time looking, spent some time researching. And my husband, who is a senior software developer, he said, you, you need to be in tech like 10 years ago. So I, I kind of looked into it. I was like, mm, I don't really like JavaScript. I don't really like that kind of stuff. But then I stumbled onto data and I was like, yes, this is this is my vibe. This is what I love. So I ended up attending CodeClan at the end of 2021, um, doing their professional data analysis course. And I finished in February 2022 and got a job pretty much right right away, um, ironically, as a software engineer. <laughs> but that was, that was working on an internal um, product where we process data. So it does make sense. Um, and then since then, I, I changed teams in January this year. So I'm now working in machine learning. That's a really exciting um, transition into what's well, actually quite a different um, kind of part of the industry that most people end up in. I think a lot of people are pretty intimidated to end up in the data side of things, even if they find it interesting, um, because you get this assumption, and particularly machine learning as well, you get this assumption where it's like, oh, you know, I, I will have had to have done maths all the way through uni. And like, um, I mean, I, I know I feel that way. I mean, I, I gave up maths when I was 16 because uh, I just didn't take it on to A level. And yeah, I would be scared of doing data stuff even now. So um, yeah, that's really awesome uh, that you uh, that you went into that side of things. Was there a reason why that area appealed over the likes of stuff like JavaScript? Yeah, um, I feel like with with JavaScript, with front kind of software development, you have to be really good at like visualizing a product, how you want it to work, how you want it to interact with it. The difference I feel with data is you have data there, you interact with it directly, you can manipulate it, you can kind of understand, you can take things from it, which is what about all data analysis is. It's about gaining insights from the data. But also it's like when you have these massive data sets and we're talking like thousands of columns, millions of rows, it's about structuring your data in a way that you can then use going for, going forward because you don't want to just like work with like all the data that's too much. You want to kind of be able to pick, okay, I want this one, this one, this one. So really it's about organizing things. It's about, yeah, looking at, okay, I've got all this stuff. Now I need to make it into a certain size and then I'll take that forward. And I love that. I love organizing things. Anyone who has seen my kitchen will be like, I am the most organized person in the world. But that comes from, I take everything out on the floor and then I look at, okay, I want this in this place, this in this place. And, and data's no different. Yeah, I can definitely see the kind of connection there because it's all about manipulating things to be used in the easiest way possible for both yourself and future users be that developers or kind of end end users uh, depending on who's going to be using your uh, your product and the um the company you're working for at the moment there's kind of place that would have tons of data so i'd imagine it's a pretty interesting role yeah so it's um for those who don't know i work for find my past we're a genealogy business so you can go on our website build your family tree but what we specialize in is uh historical records and we have so many data sets it's ridiculous but on top of that we then also have like data about our users because well everyone does so like when you then compile all that together oh and the other thing that we also have is um we digitize newspapers in collaboration with the british library and i think as of now we've published 66 million pages um, and when you publish a newspaper online it's not just like the the text and the image itself you also have all the metadata um, and then how they all interconnect so it's just there's so much data and and what I love about data is it tells you so much about people it, it says so much about you and and that's what we really love at Find My Past is kind of connecting 
the current you to the like who you were in the past and your family and stuff yeah that uh, that makes a lot of sense and then what i like with the newspaper side of things is that because uh, i remember you chatting about this at the event uh, that we went uh, that, that we held back in may um is the fact that you're bridging this gap between how we used to do records and how we could do records now more efficiently um and also all the challenges that come with digitizing such a vast amount of uh, newspaper because um one a day for every region um of the uk or wherever i, I can imagine that that adds up pretty pretty quickly yeah, definitely. There is. I mean, we, we've not even like touched the surface of, of what there is in terms of like digitizing newspapers, but also just historical records. I mean, we haven't even got onto like books and things like that. There's so much stuff. But yeah, you're, you're right. It's it's kind of seeing that, I guess, that transition. Um, so and this is, again, what I love about the fact that we've got things going back to like the 1700s and newspapers in the 1700s were just different to how we see them today. Today, they're much more like tabloid style. It's a much more like there's a lot of visual images because well, back in the day, like cameras weren't a thing. Yeah. Um, so it's just being able to kind of see that across history. And really that's like, that's one of our other kind of fundamental beliefs is we respect history and we want to preserve it for the next generation. Because the fact is, I mean, there's a lot of people say that print is a dying art. It's not. It's more the challenge with historical things is they will die. They, they won't last forever. Paper does eventually degrade. Print degrades. And we want to be able to keep that for the future generations because there's just so much amazing information in those historical records. It captures... Um, I can't remember the word for it, but like it, I think it's zeitgeist. Like it captures mm. where is society at this point in time? What's capturing our interest? And yeah, if we don't keep that, well, then that's just like a lot of information that's going to go lost. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it goes so much deeper than a lot of people would assume where you're talking about discounting newspapers. Like my first instinct when you said it would be like, oh, you're looking for like dates in terms of like obituaries and that, and that kind of thing. But actually like, you know, you're saying about the zeitgeist, you can do your sentiment analysis, the language uh, analyzing and that kind of thing. And I, I guess with um, large language models uh, and chat GPT, et cetera, um, becoming so prevalent now, the potential you can use that for as well in combination with uh, with the work means that like you could build up an amazing picture so it sounds really cool yeah that's definitely one of the things we're like we're not kind of working on it at the moment because we've got our other projects but it's something that where we're definitely keeping it in the back of our mind because we're going through so many newspaper pages so many like yeah records but also but but we want to kind of see how could i guess the theory of what we're doing at the moment with machine learning applied on a bigger scale so like you say could we in uh, it wouldn't be any day soon but could we just put a whole newspaper article through chat gpt and it would tell us all this amazing stuff and that is a long way away because the pro again the problem with historical records such as newspapers is they do degrade over time because a lot of what we do is from microfilm but when you when, then it's already been processed once so then some of the quality is already dropped and then when we put that through um, an OCR machine so uh, optical character recognition and you try and kind of capture the words into actually like um, digital text all these tiny little newspaper smudges just becomes random stuff yeah. so having to kind of totally rethink redo a lot of what we've done because it's just not great quality and that's not kind of a diss on anyone who's worked with it it's just that is the fact that is that is what happens when you work with old text and i mean some may may think like old yeah okay 1950s i mean we're talking 1800s here it mm. is it is dying um but yeah i guess once we get those problems solved once we get over that hurdle 
I'm so excited to see like what could we do especially now that we are really beginning to work with machine learning and really kind of understand it yeah absolutely and um turning the clock back a little bit uh in in your career um how is that actual experience between deciding yeah i want to get into stem and the technology industry in general uh from um a completely different original professional background how how is that process from the point where you i imagine decide one day um that you want to do co-clan for sure which is a great uh great organization great way to learn um to the point where you go through the process and like what what were the biggest takeaways you had and how was that experience so i think we for that we kind of have to turn the clock back even further because Mm. i mean there probably was a definitive point where i said yes i'm gonna do it but that was after roughly a year of searching and thinking i think the yeah the main question for me was can i do this because the problem is as as a woman in tech i had this embedded belief that i just can't do this not for any kind of like putting down on myself thing it was just more I guess this very fundamental thing of no girls can't do that. That's just like we're just not wired that like way. Like a societal thing. Yeah, definitely. Um, and it was just kind of getting over that hurdle. And that's why, like I said, I did take a really, really long time, and I really kind of questioned myself. Like, no, can I actually do this? Will this just be a waste of my time, or will I take it somewhere? And that was really hard to get over. It was. Ugh. There's there's so many things that kind of enable it. But there's also not enough that disables it, that like kind of pushes against it. Um, and that's where, again, CoClan are really good in that way. They really do push for everyone to come through. Um, there's also Code First Girls. Who, they are absolutely amazing. Um, who They're very similar to CoClan, except it's for, for women and girls only. Um, because they, they, again, fundamentally believe, no, everyone can do this. It's not just that you're, you're wired differently. We, are, we all come from kind of the same thing. But I guess turning it back even further, um, when I then kind of looked back on my history, I was like, okay. So when I was 14, I was um, put on like this mini, it was a science camp for a week. And I was the one from my school selected to do this. Um, And it was with like, uh, I think 50 other young people. And it was an attempt to get more young people into STEM because back then, like we're we're talking early noughties, that just wasn't the thing to do. Like you, that was just not popular at all. And I came away from that and I was like, I really love this stuff. Like we did some very basic programming on it. We worked, we did like some engineering. I've There's always had this really, interest. Really cool it's not stuff. just something that's come about. But I came away from it and I was like, I've always wanted yeah, to do it. Yeah, that was a fun it. little thing. I but it was like, okay, well, and if you were a boy, you then you would see that enableism just happening. That way. Because, because I was a girl. There was no one who kind of came up to me and said, no, no, you had to And so it was coming over. That is exactly the whole point. That was probably what took me a year. Everyone was just like, yeah, like kind of little pat on the head. Well done. Um, so that kind of then led me to when I did my A-levels, I was like, okay, well, I'll just kind of do some of the more softer la- softer um, subjects like languages and stuff. And then coming out of college, I was like, well, I don't really know what I want to do. But that, again, no one kind of really put those things together for me and said, actually, you really love like chemistry and coding, so you should follow that. Um, so that when I then eventually went to university, which I did quite late, I kind of gravitated towards um, social work and social care because that's just kind of it's the part I guess what women clearing. do it's, it's just in, that's in what's accepted I guess um, like and how, again how, I'm not gonna be able what to I loved this, most uh, about my course was 
actually you know, researching not many other blokes. I, I'm like, oh, like I would all feel, the other stuff, yeah. yeah I mean, I would of feel I enjoyed it, otherwise weird I wouldn't have done it. But the about part going that I really into something. Was it's, it's like, into, um, I don't know. Articles. I'm trying to think of another and again, example. It was like, like, well, that should At my primary school, there was only one, or elementary school for our international listeners, there was only one male teacher. And I wonder, like, what it was like for him going into that being the only one in a school with, like, 15 teachers being the only one. And yeah, like it adds an extra dimension of difficulty. So it was hard enough to career change in terms of like actually learning all the new skills without having to deal with the other aspect of it that, you know, you're, you're mentioning there. And um, yeah, I think we're going, whilst we're going in the right direction in terms of um, pushing uh, all kids into STEM, um, there needs to 100% be more encouragement and like more insights. And, um, you know, I think I'm, I'm definitely definitely trying to think about what i could potentially do uh, to uh, to to kind of help people earlier on in their careers because um you know i think it's for the simple reason that um diverse people build better products because like your users are diverse right and yeah you know. ab- absolutely and i think that's one thing i've kind of definitely discovered in like in in, in my place at find my past because i i do love a lot of the admin work and I, I did a lot of that um like as a profession when i was younger but then coming into a technical team, they're like, oh, we're so disorganized. I'm like, don't worry, I'll sort you out. So it is really good to kind of have those. It's just important to kind of not then, I guess, push people away. Because it's, it's one thing that's often seen in technical um, teams and companies is women will automatically get lumped with that kind of work because, mm. again, it's that's what they do. Um, so, and like I said, there, there are definitely strengths to that diversity because like you say, that's... And that is one thing that I could very quickly, it was, it was quite an easy win for me and a quick in. It's then just making sure, okay, well, you don't just have to do that. Like yeah. you, you can do it if you want, that's great. But you need, you, know, you, you should be on par with everyone else. And I think that's one of the things I definitely see a lot um, in, in just like the general tech sphere that women aren't perceived to be as competent as men. Um, and I saw I saw an article on uh, I think it was on LinkedIn the other day, um, which is the the challenge for female leaders, which is they can't be perceived to be likable and competent at the same time, um, and that's just, that's just one of the many many barriers. But I think going back to what you said about um, like what you can do, I think the best thing and the easiest thing anyone can do is talking about it mm-hmm. um, and just beginning to raise those challenges because it's the same with any any other conversation where someone is in a minority and they're being um, discriminated against for that reason, it's the first step is always, well, am I a part of this? And in that case, what can I do? And as long as we kind of try to keep a lid on that conversation, we will only be making it worse for ourselves. Yeah, that, that's what I was um, going to uh, just ask, actually, in terms of uh, so the listener base for this show uh, is, pr- I think, last time I looked at the stats, it's 70% male, like I was going to say, it <laughs> is the best thing for men to do to talk about it. And yeah, that, um, that makes a lot of sense. And, um, what, what would you advise people who are doubting, uh, doubting themselves like early on, um, mm-hmm. either in this context or, or just in general, what, what advice, uh, would you give to someone having, you know, now gone through the career changing process of being an accomplished professional in this area? Um, it would probably be just do it. Um, which is it's such an easy thing to say is when you're on the other side, but it's really just do it and try that, try something and get out there and learn. Because what the 
the thing that I love the most about tech is where it stands in opposition to social care. And what I mean by that is in tech, failing is a part of the job. You write tests so that they fail. You always yeah. want to break your product because that way you 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 kind of find the areas find the areas that you need to improve. And that was probably one of the big things I, I had to get over quite early in Codeland because I was we were writing something I don't know what, and I was I was like, no, it's breaking. I'm getting all these errors. And so I went up to one of my tutors, and he was like, no, no, this is a good thing. This is where you should be, and and just changing that mindset because in social care, like if something goes wrong, then it's like, no, we don't mm. talk about that. And it's it's one of those things. It's become um, kind of a self serving problem because the moment you do, then you will like then everyone will come down on you um and I, I read a really good book about this recently um i can't remember what it was called um, but it was it was written by oh that's it. it was written by um someone who was an olympic champion in ping pong of everything oh malcolm gladwell or am i thinking someone else no i think that's someone else but um i think i've got it on my bookshelf anyway um but anyway he was talking about um and it was very, it's a very similar juxtaposition. So he was talking about healthcare versus aviation, because again, in aviation, after everything, you will even like even the tiniest near miss, you will analyze the problem, you'll dig out the faults, and then you'll kind of write a slightly improved manual for next time. Mm. Whereas in healthcare, you don't talk about errors because then it will all come down on you. Um, and and to change this is just like it's so far like it's so hard to do it, it probably won't happen in our lifetimes but anyway that's that's I love that juxtaposition because I've gone from a profession where okay no we like we, we try and cover our our backs as much as we can because otherwise we will be the ones that like, it will be pinned on you exactly to somewhere where okay no this is just what we do um and that's why kind of going back to your question the, the sooner you do something, the sooner you will find out, okay, if I'm going in the slightly right direction, continue. If not, okay, analyse the problem and keep going. Because it does create momentum and it creates this thing of, okay, well, okay, this didn't slightly work. So what can I think of next? Yeah, exactly. It's like scientists experiment. And, you know, every time something goes, you know, an experiment doesn't work, it brings you closer to the end result and um a, a conversation i i really liked on the show uh, a few episodes ago uh was with uh, lee jones who you spoke on the panel with and lee was talking about how when he was a, a kid learning uh on his vtech laptop programming basic uh he he said that the line that stuck out for him in the manual that he still remembers now um so how many years later was that no matter what you do you probably won't break the computer um so that that's a big thing to remember is is the fact that we learn from mistakes and get comfortable with the errors and mm -hmm. for me like maybe i'm maybe i'm showing myself as a bad developer here but i get excited when i see a new error message because that means i've solved the old one <laughs> yeah exactly and that's uh, and as some like when we did unit tests at coclan i was like no i'm i'm staying far away from that i don't like unit tests um <laughs> so where i am now like we are we are very much kind of test driven development um, and like you say, okay, so we can't get this test to pass. We kind of tweak something. And then like you say, okay, now it's a new error, but that means that we've moved on. That means like you say, you have solved the previous problem. And I really do think that career switching and all the challenges that that comes with falls, can easily fall into the same framework. It's okay. Well, I'm setting a goal of something. 
I'll, I'll take a movement towards that. If, if I stumble over something, that's fine. Like you're not, we, we, as a society, we really have this thing of, okay, well, failure equals like you are just gone. And it's just mm. not that bad. But I have definitely been there and I was absolutely terrified of starting Code Clan. I don't know what I think. Well, I don't know what I thought was going to happen. Like, no one was going to come and tell me, like, no, no, you have to move out of the UK. I, we have these weird ideas kind of, yeah, in our minds. But once I kind of got into it, it was like, okay, so I'm, I'm doing like a certain amount of homeworks each day. Some of them I get, some of them I don't. But the ones that I don't, okay, I go back next day and then I learn something as a consequence of them. And, yeah, I think that's just the main thing. Yeah, I think definitely speaking up as well particularly earlier on in your career be that when you're in the process of switching or in uh, early on in the first jobs or well I mean any time in a career really but especially like my, my my first job I used to um and I don't know why because my boss was so nice like I used to always try and like hide my mistakes or like hide my misunderstandings and that kind of thing and then I think a while in I can't remember if he said or if I just decided for myself, I was like, you know what, actually, I give up. I'm just going to ask the question. And you know what? I started improving so much, uh, so much quicker after that because um, it was silly. It wasn't like I was in competition with the guy. He had like 20 years experience and I had two months experience. And I had this resource essentially of someone who was happy to help me. And yet I was too embarrassed to go to him with questions Mm -hmm. about how something works or if he'd say, do you understand this? And I'd nod and not necessarily 100% understand it. And um, yeah, it's it's silly how we almost trick ourselves in thinking if if something goes wrong once or it doesn't work right the whole time, then that's it. Because yeah, like every great invention and every great product Mm -hmm. has been iterated through so many failures. I think um it's more of a business than a software engineering quote but he is a software engineer i think uh i think his name's max lechev one of the founders of paypal he said i've i've failed four companies uh and i founded five and the fifth was paypal and it's you've got to go through these failures and 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 pick up um pick up learnings and yeah the way i i i I see it as learnings uh i always try and tell myself i either i either win or learn be that in building my own building my own side businesses or, or my day job or, or recording this podcast. Like, um, you know, sometimes I mess up the microphones like I nearly did before the start of this episode, but I recently had to re-record an episode, luckily with a very understanding guest um, because, you know, you, you you learn from these failures and now I go through a checklist before we start recording. So now I don't have to ask you to give up two different <laughs> podcast recording slots, hopefully. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And it was, um, it's, it reminds me very much of one of the stories that was in a aforementioned book. I can't remember the name of, um, but one of the stories he went through was um, James Dyson, who mm. obviously invented the founded the Dyson company. And what was really interesting about his story, and, and I, I guess not very different from what was a lot of what we've spoken about, but it was he started with a problem, which was he hated vacuum cleaners. <laughs> he yeah. absolutely hated them. And he kept thinking there must be something better. And he went to, I think it was a sawmill, and he saw the way that um, uh, like all the dust was extracted. And he was like, huh, I could use that. And he built like a very, very crude model, and it worked. 
Um, and then he kind of just kept, like you say, iterating on that. And I think the number quoted was something like 7,100 prototypes he had to go through because each one didn't quite work the way that it wanted he wanted it to, but he just kept at it. And I think that's where we very easily fall down at that first hurdle. It's like, okay, well, I've got a problem. Here's a little idea. It doesn't work the way I've imagined it, so I'm just going to give up. Um, and it's, it's so hard to get over, but, I mean the potential that it brings is crazy. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a huge mindset shift that you have to go through. But once you go through it, it becomes so much more rewarding. But like without getting into too deep of conversation, I think it definitely starts in school because everything's pass fail, right? Like, um, you know, I think I remember having to sit and do like actual exam hall exams at the age of nine, I think, yeah. like we'd all be shot in a hall. And it's like, what, what's productive out of that? Like, you know, imagine like kids that had failed those exams. Like, what's that going to do to their self-esteem in something that's such an inconsequential thing at the age of nine? Like, what's that going to do to your psyche? And you're going to see everything. And even if you pass, you're still going to see everything is pass fail all the way through your life. And like, it's it's kind of like I almost expected to get like a uh, like a school report in my first job and that that kind of thing just because you're so used to how these things how these things work it's a huge question how you change those attitudes though isn't it yeah and I think like you say it's like school is its whole whole own thing um, but I think one of the other problems like very fundamental problems with school is um, everything is like you say it's, it's taught pass fail but it's you're not kind of taught how to solve that problem mm. you're taught oh so, so for example with maths like there's a specific formula you need to apply and then that's it it's no there's no kind of analyzing the problem thinking about okay what are the different approaches i could take i'll, I'll try them and then see where i am and again that's where, where places like CodeClan are so great because what mattered might like i think that we had seven homework questions a night or something like that it was quite a lot mm. but the whole point was you try and show us what you've tried and we'll then talk through it and work through it um because then you are kind of that they're really trying to encroach that mindset of you need to try you need to kind of begin to solve these problems for yourself and then like you said when I got into the into my job I was like okay well I think when I when I'm about to pass my probation I expect like this full report but really it was much more on that day-to-day level of am I actually kind of applying my critical thinking, my problem solving? And I think that's one of the skills that is fundamentally so valued across all of tech. It's not it's not kind of that um, software development data split. It's just you need to be able to look at problems in a very constructive way and then begin to take an approach. Yeah, it's funny you say that about the passing a probation meeting and you go in thinking it's going to be some huge thing because I, I did exactly the same thing. Um, because three out of my four jobs post uni, uh, they forgot about my probation, and then like six was in there. Oh yeah, yeah, no, you're fine. <laughs> like, uh, and you go in thinking like, oh crikey, it's probation day, twelve weeks from the start, and then like nothing happens. You're like, oh okay, so am I getting a P forty five in the post? Like, is that what's going yeah. on? Um, but yeah, it's it, yeah. it's funny. I, I I think it's really interesting what you say about how you go back in with the homework at, as well at CoClan and um, you talk through it because I also think as well. Um, something I, I've since I've got to a point in my career where I've started like helping juniors, um, it's made me a much better software engineer to ask them how they think uh, and how they approach solving a problem. And then if they ask me why something works where it does, a lot of the time I'm like, do you know what? Actually, 
I'm not I'm not sure. Mm. Let me go and find out. Let me go and read up on this. Or we'll like look at the uh, we'll screen share because we work remote, we'll screen share and like look at the page together and talk it through. Um it, it's such a good way for uh in in a lot of ways juniors can teach seniors just as much as seniors can teach juniors, uh for for sure. And I think that's that's a bit of a mental block to get over if you're on the junior side, I think. Yeah, definitely. Um yeah. <laughs> yeah. And um I actually know very little about the data side of things um, at CoClan or just in general. What, what's a typical day look like um, when you're learning at someone like CoClan? And then what, what does a typical day look like when you're actually on the job? Um, so, oh, so do you mean on the job or at CoClan? Uh, both. So uh, firstly on the, at CoClan and then on the job. Well, whichever way around you want to go. <laughs> no worries. Um, so yeah, at CoClan, I think the first week was the most difficult because you had to suddenly get get um what's the word like involved and, and learn about this whole thing called data and data is massively complex and then the other thing of actually programming with it um so i think yeah the first week that was kind of its own thing after that you were kind of up and running so the majority of the course is taught in r which is a statistical programming language it's been used for like since the 70s it's quite old um but it's it's mainly used um for like mass scale statistical analysis um it's really good for programming in um but if that's not where you're at then python is probably the the language most used which we were taught quite late in the course but that's because it's very easy to pick up um so yeah for i think we had these we had them in blocks which is very similar to on software development the, the first kind of block was about just getting to work with data, learning to clean it, learning to um, yeah manipulate it to do the things that you want it to do. Um, and the cleaning one, I think, is really interesting, especially because when I kind of speak to, to program, like, yeah, I guess software devs, they don't really kind of understand that bit of it. They're like, oh, okay, well, yeah, you just like fill it in. I'm like, yeah, but you've got millions of rows. How are you just going to do that? Um, and But also the implications of that. So let's say you've got, I mean, the, the one I hate the most is when there's free form um, text block or text entry thing. So you can just like uh, write yeah. in whatever you want. Because my husband says, oh, yeah, that's great because it's so easy to code and then you don't have to worry about all these problems. I'm like, yeah. Do you realize how many people write rubbish in there? <laughs> and then you have to think about, well, how am I going to work with this? It's awful. Because um, that was our, our first big project was this like really big analysis across I think it was like three years of a data set um, and most of the like entry things they were freeform text and people will just write rubbish in there it's those yeah. like things about Trump even though it was about sweets um, <laughs> that was so random so yeah I guess the implications of like cleaning your data so let's say you want to drop everything where someone's written rubbish okay well you've now lost half your data set then what? What are you now going to do? Um, it's a classic situation where software devs think, think something's because I would have been exactly the same. Just yeah. Stick a text error in there. They can write what they want. That's brilliant. Like we can get so much qualitative information, and then you pass it on to data, who then have to deal with it. Yeah, exactly. And that's why no, I want like a drop down or something. And I do drop downs look terrible on iPhones. I will not disagree with that. But it's so much better because then you know what you're going to get back. Um, so yeah, it's. I mean, it's not that differently structured to the software development course so you have like i think we had kind of lectures or like what's it called it was like pairing coding along type thing in the morning and then in the afternoon we had labs and then homework in the evening it was more kind of what was taught so the first like i said the first block was cleaning data cleaning data wrangling um that kind of stuff the next block was uh a probability um 
kind of the more model building side of it. Um, Oh, no, I tell a lie. I think the next one was on uh, data visualization, which is massive if you're going to work as a business analyst, because then you need to kind of clean your data. But you really need to be able to, for it to tell a story for you to kind of say, OK, well, the, when we plot out the, the data, this is what it looks like, because visualizations are great. It helps everybody, but it is definitely its own skill. It's like <laughs> you can't just put stuff on a plot. Um, but also data will like the, the type of plot you choose that will kind of it has to fit a certain need and the amount of pie charts i see i hate they're so awful <laughs> um they're so difficult to read and so yeah that's kind of so so yeah we that's i think that's the second block and then it's into um model building so things like linear regressions probability no, knowing how to kind of um what's the word augment your data if you don't have enough um, a lot of those things. And I think that was probably one of the most difficult ones, because like you say, there, there is this kind of misconception, I guess, about, about data and maths. It's not entirely a misconception. It's just the level of which you need to know it. So you definitely you definitely do need to understand like some basic probability, some basic, um, what are they called? Equations, things like that. You, you kind of need to be able to read a bit of maths. The good thing about computers is they do most of it for you. <laughs> you just need to know what you're doing. But, um, and then, yeah, then that was our, our kind of our last block. And then we did, um, we did, I think a week on SQL, a week on Python, um, and that was pretty much it. Um, so now on my job, um, the like I said, the first. Uh, first kind of position I had that was in, on a team where we maintained an internal tool to process data which had the the massive user base of three <laughs> so that was good because that meant that we didn't have to worry too much about like well if we break things then mm -hmm. yeah, I mean <laughs> Yeah. Um, but also we were we were in very close contact with them um so that was built using um Ruby Ruby on Rails uh, and then we use SQL to kind of or kind of interrogate our databases. Um, but once I kind of got to a point where I was like, I'm comfortable with this, then I uh, switched teams into machine learning, which was then it was basically like starting over <laughs> because I didn't really know Python that well, um, getting to work with Jupyter. Um, and then on top of that, like large language models <laughs> such as Bert, Roberta. Um, I think the type of models we've ended up using are BioLSTM. It stands for something. Don't ask me what. <laughs> I was going to say that went straight over my head. BioLSTM. I hadn't. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a bidirectional language. It's, it's something to do with that. It tries to understand um, the uh, the syntax. Oh uh, yeah, of words or like of, of sentences, which is quite cool that you can get a, a model to do that. I don't get how it does it, but it does. Um, but then, kind of, I guess working with machine learning on like an industrial scale, like 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 we do, um, and understanding things like epochs and loss, yeah. and that was um, yeah, it's it's a big learning curve, but it's really good fun because because uh, we're working on this really really cool project, and there's only three of us, which means I actually get to do a lot of stuff. Um, I'm not just kind of sitting there shadowing people, um, and yeah, a lot of a lot of our days just go with okay, well, we run a lot of trial code, a lot of prototype code in Jupyter. Once we're kind of happy with it, then we pull it over into our um, source control Git repo, build our modules. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it. Sounds really, really cool. And um, I like what you say about how you've always got to be learning new stuff because I was actually thinking the other day, how boring would it be 
to just be in a job for like 40 years and knowing you're never actually going to do anything new in this business function and mm-hmm. this is just your life like I would I don't think I'd last more than, more than a few weeks like it's this is what I love about working in this industry and um, for anyone who hasn't broken in yet and is feeling maybe a bit disheartened about it like if you enjoy the process of learning then this is such a good industry because people sometimes talk about it like it's a negative oh you got to roll with the punches um but it's the the feeling that you get to constantly like improve on your skills it's really satisfactory i find yeah and i was reflecting on this i think we had just the other day um again it's, it's this juxtaposition of social work and tech and i was thinking like okay yeah we had to do like continuous professional development but that was literally just to tick a box so you'd maybe attend a course twice a year and then that would be kind of enough credits there was no real sense of okay well i'm going to keep learning i'm going to kind of learn from my colleagues and and all of this stuff it was more just kind of okay I'm chugging along doing my stuff and I think that was part of what made me really stressed as well because I was like I, I don't get what I'm actually doing here I'm just kind of doing something day in day out because one of the things that people say that they love about social work and healthcare is that that every day is different which it is except it's just kind of more of the same if that makes sense it's, it's like well what are we actually doing we're not really changing anything it's just we're trying to not like drown every day mm. whereas in tech like you say it's just constantly learning and it kind of going back to what we were saying it, you definitely have to get comfortable with failure you have to get comfortable with you're not always going to be best but that's okay um and that's definitely been one of the things where my self-esteem has really swapped because i used to feel really really threatened by people who were better than me i always used to take it really personally whereas now i'm like okay great teach me tell me what to do <laughs> i want to learn from you you're awesome yeah i i know exactly the feeling like i I came from a background of sales um, and that's like so like cutthroat and like in terms of like all that matters is your no- your name and number on the leaderboard. I mean, I think the way sales culture works is horrendous because it just encourages people to backstab each other, um, basically, uh, certainly in the kind of organizations that I worked in. Um, but, you know, you just see everyone else's competition. And it's like you see whoever's at the top. And it's like, I am going to take them down, like no matter what. And I mean shock horror i'd burn out in like two years um but uh like it's it's one of those ones where you 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 can especially with open source technology it's like you can learn so easily from everyone like when i first discovered open source i was like these idiots have made everything like available for free all of their secrets this is brilliant um and then you know i started digging into it and then understanding what the philosophy actually meant and I was like, this is so cool and, and such an amazing way of doing things. I can't think of many industries where we literally share essentially a load of trade secrets with each other um, just to kind of, just because, you know, because it's kind of good on personal branding. Like it's it's it's, it's amazing. And uh, uh, also as well for anyone who's still learning, um, I don't know if it was just me that did this. I used to think using open source like packages was cheating. It's not. Just everyone does it. So <laughs> it's like imagine if like on the data side of things, imagine if you were building like complete like new models from scratch and like reinventing. I'm trying to think of all the libraries that I've uh, mm-hmm. used back in the day, like pandas for Python. Mm-hmm. I imagine you just rebuilt that every time. Like what would be the point? <laughs> yeah, definitely. And I think it's also something that's very it's very reflective of the culture around tech in general, which is it is very open it's very welcoming and when i kind of got started in tech i was like there's going to be a catch someone's going to come up to me up at some point and say 
nah, you, can you go away now? Like you were getting fed up of you. But it's not. Like everyone is just mm. so happy to share with each other, to help each other kind of move up. And that's why I love being part of like this podcast and Code of Career and the, just the, the community in general, because like, I, I have got a very varied career, but that also means I have skills to help other people up. And that's exactly what tech is about. It's always about helping each other out where you can. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a really important point to lean on as a career changer because no matter what you've done before, I think a lot of the time when you get into this new industry, there comes with, well, one is the imposter syndrome of like, oh, you know, I've got to start a new thing. Then also as well, I think, I mean, I can certainly say I had a bit of an ego hit like when I was like, great, I'm starting from the very bottom again. Um, but you have to frame it differently. I, I find for people often say to me, I've worked 20 years in XYZ career and now I'm moving on to this. Um, you know, is it too late? And, and it's never too late because there are some really amazing people that didn't get into this career until their forties, fifties, or even later, uh, and have gone on to do absolutely amazing work. Um, and I, I think it, it's something where you can lean on your previous career massively and it gives you a unique value add. Um, compared to the comp side grads that aren't really a competition, but you may end up seeing them as competition um, because you have a you have an edge to yourself uh, and a niche that that other people don't have that's super unique. Like for example, from your side, how many other devs have experience in social work? From my side, how many have done tech sales and recruitment? Like you know, not many. It gives you a unique perspective to bring up in interviews and talk about the value add you can have. Yeah, definitely. And I think that kind of it for me, definitely for me, it showed it, it reared its head in the weirdest way possible, I think, because um, I did a talk recently at CoCloud and I, it was like um, a year since I left, uh, a, a year since I left CoCloud and I was kind of talking about what's happened since then. And one one of my points was around exactly that. Your being a career switcher is not a bad thing. Quite the opposite. It is an amazing thing because you bring skills that n- probably no one else will. And what I, and the story that I told and, and yeah, it's it is one hundred percent true. Um, is we were back in like February March time we were doing our annual three sixty, so getting feedback from other people, which would then feed into like our progression um, framework, etc. And <clears throat> my my tech lead um like in my my team she we were just chatting one day and then she went um by the way so uh how do you give feedback could you give me some pointers on that and that was a moment where I was like hang on you've been in this industry for six years you've got a PhD in physics and you're asking me and that was where I was like actually no because a big part of the social work course is constantly reflecting on your practice it's constantly thinking could I be doing better and it's again analyzing the position thing and, and thinking what's what's wrong what's right and how can I kind of constructively feedback to myself to others um, and wait, so we're a part, as a part of social work, you have to do placements as well. So in mm-hmm. the second year, it's 70 days. In the third year, it's 100 days. And r- around these, you have to build like this massive report about like, OK, so I've been observed by someone else. So I have to write a reflection on their reflection. I'm also have to, having to write these reflective accounts of my work. And it's, it's literally un, like it's relentless. You all, you're always having to do this. But it does equip you with those skills of a giving good feedback and be getting good feedback and and using that so I was like okay well actually yeah I can tell you a lot about this because that's what I've done for quite a few years now um and like you said if, if I hadn't gone into tech like that that is something unique that I bring and that is I mean this is what a lot of this conversation is about but that that diversity is just so amazing 
Yeah, absolutely. The diversity of professional experiences is huge. And because especially if you're building some kind of commercially facing product as well, it can be really useful to have worked in a different, um, in a different industry because you bring a perspective. Um, and then in, uh, cause it, in my case, it's kind of, uh, been quite a boring way to let my previous experiences come up because of the former technical recruiter. It's like, Cam, can you jump on this interview, please? <laughs> it's more or less what it boils down to. Um, but you know, I, I don't mind. It's, it's fun to brush off the old, uh, the old box of tricks in an interview. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, it, it it's, it's one of those things where, I don't know why people get so well I, of course I know why people get nervous about uh, the idea of oh I've done all this time another career like tech is not I think tech is one of the most open-minded industries when it comes to people switching into doing something new so um, you know if you're looking at getting back into work after taking some time off um, or you're you know or you're not finding uh, you're either finding what you're doing too stressful or not interesting enough um, you know it, it's such a great option to get in and like I think talking, I try not to talk, even though the show is careers focused, I try not to let it turn into like, here's how you maximize your income. But something I always say is like, how many other industries pay as much as this um, and yet don't have all of the prerequisites? Like, you know, imagine just rocking up at an investment bank and just being like, oh yeah, I want to be a trader. Like it might've worked back in the seventies or whatever, um, but not anymore. And, um, you know, this industry is well compensated and, um, but yet it doesn't matter if you have a PhD or left school of 16, it's about if you can do the skills properly and be pleasant to work with, then that's all that matters, whether you're self-taught or you have a Harvard CS degree. Yeah. And I think that kind of also ties in with one of the things, something I've been thinking about recently, and that has been coming up a lot. Um, So the way the the first place it came up for me was during CoClan, you have like a careers week. Um, And I was like, okay, yeah, that's fine. I know a lot. I know a lot of the stuff. But one of the things that I really loved was the career coach at the time. She did this really good presentation about like preparing for interviews and all the stuff. And one of them Two of the key points she made was knowing your um, USP, so your unique selling points, and knowing your worth. And as I've kind of settled into tech, I'm like, yeah, you know what? I do bring quite a lot of USPs. Mm. I bring, for example, that I can reflect properly. I bring a lot of admin skills because there's a ridiculous amount of work in paperwork <laughs> and social work. Um, but I bring a lot of the knowledge about like equality, about supporting those who are underrepresented, about kind of lifting them up. Um and yeah, that means actually I bring quite a lot of good stuff. So yeah, I should be compensated in kind and standing by that. And it's something that it can feel really hard to do. And it definitely did for me by when I was like doing interviews and stuff. And I was like, no, actually, no, I want to be paid properly. But there's nothing wrong with that. And you're not selfish for doing that. You're just saying I have this, this and this that I bring, which no one else does. So you should pay me properly. Yeah, 100%. Like knowing knowing your worth is like absolutely massive. And, um, you know, I, I think it's it's very British for us not to talk about salaries or money or anything like that. But it can be it can be a good idea. I mean, not to the point where like you're bragging about it or uh, or like, it, you know, laughing at someone else's salary. I mean, obviously, I, I, 99% of people would never do that. Um, but, um, you know, it, it's one of those ones where, you know, open conversations are are, are important and that, that's partially why I set this whole thing up originally because I figured there's so much stuff that will 
go into depth around, um, you know, how to use the latest React library um, correctly. And like, yeah, that, that's obviously super important, but there's not much stuff around. And the reason why it's called the Coder Career is because the focus is on the second C. Um, and, you know, I love to see, to be blunt, I love to see people in the tech world get paid. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's part of the, mo the original motivation for setting this whole thing up is because people should know their worth. And, you know, it's if you work in private enterprise, the company's profiting off your skills. You may as well get in a share of that, right? You're uh, mm -hmm. um, you're the one providing the skills, so you should be compensated for that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I I kind of like that it goes back to what we were talking about, um, supporting women in tech, because it's exactly the mm -hmm. same thing you need to do. Because as long as you keep trying to put a lid on it, it will benefit no one. So it's and it's exactly the same philosophy. The more we can talk the more we can then begin to move forward. And it, it also goes back to what we were talking about with error being a fundamental thing. Okay, yeah, you're probably going to be confronted with a few things you're doing wrong. That's not a bad thing. It's not a judgment of you as a person. It's more, okay, I can see I'm doing this, this and this. I shouldn't. So what am I going to learn from that? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I think this last, uh, yeah, this last kind of bit of conversation was the perfect way uh, to kind of, we're more or less exactly hitting the, uh, the, the end time of the podcast now. I think that's, a, that's kind of perfect timing because I just think that aspect of things is so important because just as important as it is getting the, getting the skills is learning how to be valued uh, with those skills as well. And I think once you have that combination, then, you know, you can be unstoppable in this industry. So, Thank, thanks so much for coming on, uh, Louise. Like, obviously, you've already done amazing work in, in our community. And I can't believe it's taken me this long to get you on as a guest. Um, but we should 100% do it again. Absolutely. And if people want to uh, keep up with you, um, both about your um, journey at Find My Past and, and your, your other work in terms of like your talk to Code Clan, um, what's the best way to keep in touch? Yeah, so you can find me on the Coda Career. I think my username is Louise S. Um, you're all, please also look me up on LinkedIn. Um, my name is Louise Shambrook. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much it because I don't use Twitter. I don't use a lot of other things because I don't like social media that much. <laughs> um, Fair enough. Yeah, but I uh, but where I am at, where I am available, I am very active, and I'm always always happy to help anyone out. Whether it's you're just starting out, whether it's okay, I've got a few questions about this, or you just want to chat. Yeah, I, absolutely. I think uh, um, so. On multiple occasions, your help and advice for people's CVs has literally led to them landing their first jobs um, in the industry. So um, definitely, uh, you know, don't uh, don't be afraid to reach out to yourself on uh, on, on our Discord community, uh, listeners, because um, yeah, you've done some uh, absolutely incredible work in helping our uh, helping our members. But yeah, thanks again for coming on. Yeah, thank you for having me. Awesome. And thank you to the listeners as well for tuning into another episode of The Code of Career. We are in your RSS feed every other Monday, I think. Um, and uh, please find all the details on thecodeofcareer.com. Thanks for listening.